Hey friends, welcome back to the journal feed. My name is Nick Zelt, and this is the only place to get spoon-fed the latest and greatest of emergency medicine. Here, we're trying to keep you up on the literature, and to make that as easy as possible, we are spoon-feeding it to you. Okay, let's take a quick look ahead at everything that we're going to be covering. First off, indeed, time is muscle. Treating STEMI patients within the time goals is, well, I mean, it's better. Second, we do a point-counterpoint on IV haloperidol in the emergency department that will cover two articles. And then for the fourth article, high-flow nasal cannula. Being a bit lackluster in children, the benefits aren't so clear. And then finally, if you are sick of the HINTS exam, you can always try the standing algorithm. Now, if you are hearing this right now, then you are still not currently a Journal Feed subscriber, and so you're not getting the full Journal Feed podcast, only a portion of the past week's articles. Don't worry, they're all good articles, but if you would like to get full access to both the podcast and the blog, then you have to become a member. All the details for that are at journalfeed.org. And remember that if money is a problem, we don't want that to be a barrier. Just reach out and we'll help you out. Now, this is the audio version of the past week summaries, which this week were brought to you by our authors, Laura Murphy, Nicholas Sryka, Chris Thome, Aaron Lacey, and Clay Smith. Okay, let's jump over to the fourth article. Titled, Effect of Early High-Flow Nasal Oxygen versus Standard Oxygen Therapy on Length of Hospital Stay in Hospitalized Children with Acute Hypoxic Respiratory Failure, the Paris 2 Randomized Clinical Trial out of the JAMA. High-flow oxygen has taken over the oxygen world in the last few years. It's no wonder that we are enthusiastically using it for pretty much anything that we can. That said, the role of high-flow nasal cannula in children ages 1 to 4 years old with respiratory failure isn't necessarily very clear. Exactly how much it would benefit that population, well, it's hard to say. This study was an RCT at 14 hospitals enrolling patients 1 to 4 years old with hypoxic respiratory failure. The inclusion criteria were if the patients met all of the following. Increased work of breathing, oxygen requirement, increased respiratory rate, and a need for admission. Most of the diagnoses were reactive airway disease, pneumonia, pneumonitis, viral-induced wheeze, or bronchiolitis. They recruited and randomized almost 1,600 patients, half receiving high-flow oxygen and the other half receiving standard oxygen therapy by way of nasal cannulas or face mask. What they found was a significant increase in hospital length of stay with the high-flow oxygen group by about 25% of a day. 1.77 days versus 1.5 days. 12.5% of the high-flow group required escalation to ICU compared with 6.9% of the standard oxygen group. This difference was also significant. That's almost twice as many people going to the ICU. Yikes, high-flow. At first glance, this actually looks pretty damning for high flow. There was a significant crossover in both groups. Even if you reanalyze per protocol, then there was still this significant association. And you know, I can't say I love this study. Now, I don't usually use high flow as a replacement for standard oxygen therapy, but instead is one of the rungs in the ladder. It shouldn't replace all the other therapies. It should be used as one as you escalate upwards. I'd rather see a trial that offered high-flow nasal cannula after standard oxygen therapy had failed versus no such option. That would be a study that's much more reflective of how I see high-flow being used. So it's no wonder more people went to the ICU when they look like they've run out of all other options. I mean, they look sicker. Either way, this trial 
didn't seem super positive for high flow. In a spoonful, a large RCT on patients 1 to 4 years old showed that high flow nasal cannula oxygen was associated with marginally longer length of stay and an increase in ICU admission rates. And then we go to the fifth and final article, titled Effectiveness and Reliability of the Four-Step Standing Algorithm Performed by Emergency Interns and Seniors for Predicting Central Causes of Vertigo, out of the journal Academic Emergency Medicine. Gosh, we sure love to talk about vertical, don't we? By now you must know that scanning for vertigo, at least in the acute setting, isn't very helpful, and that HINTS is actually a great test when it's done right. But it's not clear that emergency physicians are all that good at it. So let's try a new algorithm out. Let's try standing. The standing algorithm has four parts. Assess the nystagmus, whether it's spontaneous or not, positional or absent. Second, assess the direction of the nystagmus. After that, do the head impulse test. And then that is followed by an evaluation of the standing position and gait. Now, I won't go through the nitty-gritty of doing all these steps. You'll have to go through that yourself. Now, I can't go any further without mentioning what a terrible acronym this is. It's a really horrendous acronym. It's appalling. The STA of standing was from the word spontaneous. The ND from nystagmus direction and the i just the i from head impulse test and then the ng from standing oh my goodness you're just cherry picking letters all the ones you want of out of nowhere it's crazy i i think if you're going to do that then you could at least come up with something cooler now clay smith actually recommended nasty heist i think that would have been really memorable all right let's get back to the trial here there was training for the participants on these standing algorithms by video and had some practice as well and then there were 312 patients evaluated by interns as well as the senior emergency physicians the patients were classified as either worrisome that is likely to have central cause benign likely to have a peripheral cause or inconclusive then they used mri imaging as the reference standard the sensitivity of the algorithm was actually fairly similar between interns and senior emergency physicians. Emergency physicians were slightly better, but not by that much. Sensitivities were in the high 80s and specificities around 90 as well. Now, that's actually pretty good, but I'm not seeing a drastic reason why you'd care to switch over from the HINTS exam unless you really never liked doing the test of SKU and you'd rather do GATE, because why not, I guess? Anyways, it's just nice to see that people trained at this and doing it afterwards. Well, you know, it gives us hope for all of us. In a spoonful, with a little training, the standing algorithm is a pretty sensible way to test for central vertigo. Okay, that's it. Let's do our wrap up. What did we talk about today? Fourth, I'm a little torn on this one. High flow and little kids showing longer hospital stays, but only by six hours. Not very clinically relevant. And higher ICU admission rates, but I wonder if that's just because you forced them to escalate to high flow oxygen and so these patients looked sicker. It's hard to say. And then finally from the last article, if you never like doing the test of skew for hints, then you can try the standing algorithm, even if the algorithm is, I mean, frankly, a little bit embarrassing. Okay, links to all the articles summarized can be found at journalfeed.org, where the newsletter is the best way to make the podcast into just a little bite-sized nugget of space repetition. If you feel like you're missing out, feeling like, hey, I'd like a longer podcast, then please come and join us in the members feed. Our goal here is for you to read less, learn more, and then hopefully use that information to save lives. Thank you.